you want victory, you can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. Deuteronomy chapter 22, this is God's Word. If you see your brother Israelite's ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it. Make sure you return it to your brother. If your brother does not live near you or you don't know him, you are to bring the animal to your home to remain with you until your brother comes looking for it. Then you can return it to him. Do the same for his donkey, his garment, or anything your brother has lost and you have found. You must not ignore it. If you see your brother's donkey or ox fallen down on the road, do not ignore it. Help him lift it up. A woman is not to wear male clothing, and a man is not to put on a woman's garment. For everyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord your God. If you come across a bird's nest with chicks or eggs, either in a tree or on the ground along the road, and the mother is sitting on the chicks or eggs, do not take the mother along with the young. You may take the young for yourself, but be sure to let the mother go free so that you may prosper and live long. If you build a new house, make a railing around your roof so that you don't bring blood guilt on your house if someone falls from it. Do not plant your vineyard with two types of seed. Otherwise, the entire harvest, both the crop you plant and the produce of the vineyard, will be defiled. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Do not wear clothes made of both wool and linen. Make tassels on the four corners of the outer garment you wear. If a man marries a woman, has sexual relations with her, and comes to hate her, and accuses her of shameful conduct, and gives her a bad name, saying, I married this woman and I was intimate with her, but I didn't find any evidence of her virginity. The young woman's father and mother will take the evidence of her virginity and bring it to the city elders at the city gate. The young woman's father will say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man as a wife, but he hates her. He has accused her of shameful conduct, saying, I didn't find any evidence of your daughter's virginity, but here is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. They will spread out the cloth before the city elders. Then the elders of that city will take the man and punish him. They will also fine him a hundred silver shekels and give them to the young woman's father, because that man gave an Israelite virgin a bad name. She will remain his wife. He cannot divorce her as long as he lives. But if this accusation is true and no evidence of the young woman's virginity is found, they will bring the woman to the door of her father's house and the men of her city will stone her to death. For she has committed an outrage in Israel by being promiscuous while living in her father's house. You must purge the evil from you. If a man is discovered having sexual relations with another man's wife, both the man who had sex with the woman and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. 
If there is a young woman who is a virgin engaged to a man, and another man encounters her in the city and sleeps with her, take the two of them out to the gate of that city and stone them to death. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he has violated his neighbor's fiance. You must purge the evil from you. But if the man encounters an engaged woman in the open country, and he seizes and rapes her, only the man who raped her must die. Do nothing to the young woman, because she is not guilty of an offense deserving death. This case is just like the one in which a man attacks his neighbor and murders him. When he found her in the field, the engaged woman cried out, but there was no one to rescue her. If a man encounters a young woman, a virgin who is not engaged, and takes hold of her and rapes her and they are discovered, the man who raped her is to give the young woman's father 50 shekels and she will become his wife because he violated her. He cannot divorce her as long as he lives. A man is not to marry his father's wife. He must not violate his father's marriage bed. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. I've said it numerous times. If you want to really get these passages, read the whole book. Read the whole thing together. Um, we just did that as a church, reading straight through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It was a wonderful experience. But um, all of Scripture is God's Word, and all of it is treasured. We need to take it seriously. But there's some verses here that just, uh, well, it's, it's, it's not the sort of thing I would have just said, God, I'll tell you a passage I'd like to preach on. Okay, This, this would not make my top five favorite passages in the Bible. Wouldn't make my top ten. Wouldn't make my top twenty. You understand? So I, I, I want you to understand that going into it. If, as you heard this, it was like, uh, well, I don't relate to that. I mean, how many of you, just in your day-to-day -day course of living, see uh, an ox out in the road bowed down under a heavy load? Okay? I mean, that's just, this is not where we live. I mean, it's not as if people nowadays are doing this sort of thing in our part of the world. They are in some parts of the world. There are some places where this would sound just like everyday life, but not so much here. We're not really tempted when we go out to plow our field. How many of you plowed your field this last year? I know some did, but most not. Okay, how many of you, when you went out to plow your field this last year, thought, I don't know, my ox by itself might not really get the job done as fast. What if I add the donkey? Okay. I mean, that just wasn't a decision you were wrestling with. So, you know, can't we just kind of skip on over this? Can't we just say, this really doesn't apply? No. Let's see if we can translate some of this, okay? If you're driving down the road and you see your brother, and by the way, this brother doesn't mean you had the same mom. It means your fellow Israelite. Okay? If you see your fellow citizen in this kind of a pickle, you're to help. For years, I was not able to do any serious lifting because I had an aortic aneurysm. 
And so when I was pulling onto the Foothills Parkway and some guy had tipped his, his Harley over and it's lying on its side, um, I was able to stop and ask if he was okay. And he was. He didn't need me to call 911. But he said, could you just give me a hand getting the bike back upright? And I said, oh, I'd love to be able to help, but I have an aortic aneurysm and I'm not allowed to do that. I really couldn't. My doctors really had told me nothing over 50 pounds, okay? You can't lift anything over 50 pounds. So I could, you know, say, be at peace, <laughs> be warmed and be fed to people who are suffering because, you know, I've got a medical condition. Um, but, but here's the thing. Most of my life, that was not the case for me. And most of you are not in a physical predicament where you can't give somebody else a hand. The problem that we have that would keep us from helping our neighbor is not that physically we're unable to, it's that we just don't see it as our problem. Okay? If that person's got a problem, well, that's their problem. It's not my problem. I mean, why should I have to worry about it? Why should I have to help? I mean, if his, if his ox wanders off, I could use another ox. Right? And God says, that's not the way you're to treat your neighbor. That's not the way you're to live together. It's not just members of your biological family. It is your brother citizen. It is your fellow Israelite. The Bible tells us we are to seek to do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We have a greater responsibility for those who are in the family of God. But we shouldn't be jerks to those that aren't. What a great witness that is, right? You know, oh, I don't think I know you, so forget it. If we're serious about serving the Lord, the standard for Christians is even higher than it was for Israelites. Folks, it's a great privilege for me to be able to come each evening and bring God's Word on these stations. I am so thankful that I have the opportunity to do that. But if you listen regularly, you know that my life day-to-day -day is involved in trying to minister to kids who come from very difficult situations. I want to ask you to please help us. Contact us at wvr.org and find out how you can be part of the miracle. wvr.org. Please help us help these children. To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown where Jesus is And he's holding out his hand God gives them a bunch of instructions about being responsible not just for their own property, but for the property of others as well. And he also talks about preserving life. He doesn't want his people to be cruel, and he doesn't want his people to be thoughtless. Cruel in the sense that if you see a bird's nest and the mother is sitting on her young, you can take the eggs. That's okay, but spare the mom because there will be another season. It's okay to eat eggs, aren't you glad? I had two this morning, okay? Now, I didn't go get them from the mom, but somebody did. 
That's okay, God says. But it's not okay to be cruel. God's cultivating a kindness in his people and a thoughtfulness that says if you build a house, put a railing around the roof, lest somebody fall off, and it's blood guilt on you. God says if you are not protective of the life of others, you're being irresponsible in a way that's displeasing to him. God says, I don't want you to live a thoughtless, selfish life. Be considerate of others and their well-being, their safety, their needs, and do what you can to prevent a problem before it happens. God's ordering his people's lives for the good of all. But in the midst of it, as God is doing that, as God is telling people, because I love you, I want you to live this way, God says, because I love you, I want you to live this way, no cross-dressing. Why? Because it's just not right. God says no. Milton Berle tried to make it just seem innocent and fun back when I was a kid. Uncle Milty. Only those of you who are senior citizens like me even know who that is. But I can tell you this, in the years that have followed, cross-dressing went from being an occasional comedic thing by unspiritual people to being a staple in Christian camps and church dinners and so forth and so on. It's just, we're just having fun. We're going to have the deacons dress up in their wives' dresses, and they're going to come out and... No, to now, where we are as a culture, where people who decide that they self-identify as something other than what they are, are given government sanction saying, yeah, you got to treat them that way. If Johnny decides that he's Julie, you got to call her Julie. You can't call him Johnny because him's not him anymore. You cannot function in a society in a healthy way and have people just making up their own rules. It doesn't work. And God says, I want you to be reminded over and over, day after day, of this thing called purity. And so I'm not telling you you can't wear wool clothing. I'm not telling you that you can't wear linen clothing. I am telling you, you're not to blend fabrics. You can have different kinds of things, but you're not to wear a blend if you're part of the Israelite community. Now, we don't have to obey that now. It's not a moral law. It was something God gave them as a way of reminding them continually of the fact that you weren't to mix light and dark, good and evil the pagan with the worship of God. Purity was absolutely vital because living that way in the natural realm reminded them of the spirit realm. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is holy, holy, holy. And so he built into the fabric 
of daily life, continual reminders that his people were to be exclusively his, that the marriage covenant was an exclusive covenant, that your speech was to be always truth, no lies, no deceit. This was a constant reminder, and he said, as a matter of fact, I want you to put tassels on the corners of your garment. Well, what's that for? Every time I even look down, I'm reminded that I belong to God. I'm not my own man deciding what I'm going to do. God told the men what to do about their beards. All through the law, God gave his people because he loved them. He gave them reminders that they were his. So it would be hard to forget if they were obedient. And then he talks about violations in the area of sexual purity. And this has a bunch of stuff in it that thankfully I don't have time to go into in great detail. But I'll tell you what the gist of it is. Sexual purity was very, 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 very important, and violations of sexual purity could result in the death penalty. Not only was it important to be sexually pure, it was important to treat other people with justice. And in this passage, we see God setting a foundation of a principle that is still very important to our society, and that is a presumption of innocence. Verse 27. It's talking about a woman who's been violated out in the country. And it says, When he found her in the field, the engaged woman cried out, but there was no one to rescue her. It doesn't say if she cried out. It presumes her innocence. And therefore, she is not to be punished. But the man is to be punished. And the punishment for his having done that to someone else's betrothed wife is that he's to be executed. She's to live. He's not. Now, if there's a betrayal of the one you're betrothed to, if it was in town and she didn't cry out, there was no protest, there was no lamentation, then both of them are to be executed because that's how seriously God takes the covenant relationship. What bothers us is verse 28 and following. If a man encounters a young woman, a virgin who's not engaged, takes hold of her and rapes her and they're discovered, the man who raped her is to give the young woman's father 50 shekels and she'll become his wife because he violated her. He cannot divorce her as long as he lives. That's not the way I would have written that law. I'll just tell you, God knows that. He and I have had discussions about this. But I have to end all those discussions by saying, you're God. I'm not. And I'm reminded when I stop and think about it and pray about it and know what I know about human nature and human cultures and human history, that this actually was a tremendous, tremendous step forward in preserving these young women. Because the fact of the matter is, A, if she had not been stuck with him in this culture, 
she likely would have been the equivalent of a widow for the rest of her life. This at least, A, gave her a shot at married life in a secure situation where this guy cannot ever divorce her, but because he cannot ever divorce her and has to pay her dad as if he was marrying her, it was a deterrent to rape. Because a guy has a couple of options. If I rape this gal over here, it may result in the death penalty for me because my culture does not accept that because God says don't. And if I rape this woman over here, I should have just gone ahead and married her because I'm making the same financial commitment and in the case of rape, I don't have the option of divorce. So this was a protection against rape, not an approval by God of rape. God is saying, don't treat each other this way. On the one hand, the law simply gives us, if you will, a minimum standard of decency. God doesn't say divorce is good. God says, I hate divorce. God says, if you're going to have divorces, these are the regulations. Jesus says he gave you that because of the hardness of your hearts. But God's plan from the beginning was that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. These laws reflect the wisdom and the mercy of God, but please do not think that this is the standard we aim for. This is, what do I have to do to get a passing grade? And you know what happened? They couldn't even do this. What the law of God did was to show us that even when God says, you can eat the fruit of all the trees of the garden except that one right there, we go for that one. What the law did was show us that we cannot measure up. We all fall short. What the law did was show us that we desperately need a Savior. And God sent his son to save us. There is no other hope. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you study and study the law because you think that in it you have eternal life. But he says, the law is pointing to me. You and I, even today, as followers of Jesus Christ, indwelt by his Holy Spirit, if we are honest with ourselves, have to admit we have fallen short. I refer to it every week when we have communion. But let me read to you again what God says as we prepare to come to the table. 1 John 1, 5 and following. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Does that fit with what we just read in Deuteronomy? Absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we're lying, not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He Himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.